I'm Robin Amlo of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me is Richard Hummel, ACERT Threat Intelligence Lead for NetScout. NetScout recently publishing its latest annual threat intelligence report. And that's what we're going to be talking about. The global connectivity supply chain increasingly under attack and threat actors launching approximately five and a half million DDoS attacks in the first half of the year alone. So, Richard... Who's doing this? Who are these attackers? I think the better question is, who isn't attacking? And the reality in today's landscape is that DDoS attacks and the ability to launch them have become super easy for anyone to access. And a lot of times, the DDoS attacks that we see today are monetary focused. And so there's a couple of different groups, if you will, that perpetrate these attacks. I'm going to focus on the first one because it's the much larger group. I would say 85 to 90% of all of the DDoS attacks we see, so of that 5.4 million in the first half, 85 to 90% of those are perpetrated by individuals and specifically people associated or affiliated with some type of online gaming, whether that is competition sports or it's just nihilism because, man, you killed me in this death match and I want to get back at you. You also have this, there's a billion dollar industry in the underground gambling on esports, And so now you have folks that are launching DDoS attacks against certain people that are competing. And maybe the competitors themselves or the actual gamers have no idea this isn't going on, but people are placing bets on them. And so they're using DDoS as a means to knock their opponents offline in order for them to win. And the thing with DDoS is that you don't necessarily have to take down a server. You don't have to take down an ISP. The goal is to disrupt the communications, the internet connectivity for a short period of time. This could be seconds. Some of these Fortnite matches, I mean, two or three seconds is is the difference between winning $50,000 or walking home. And so it doesn't take a whole lot. And so they'll launch these attacks as an effort to throw those matches. So that's kind of the first group. Um, The second group is going to be our uh, DDoS extortion guys. These are individuals out there that are specifically going after organizations for the purposes of extorting them. And so what they'll do is we've we've seen a couple of of main uh, campaigns over the past year. One is Lazarus Bar Armada. Um, We blogged and talked about that in the last report. And then the more recent one is Fancy Lazarus. And both of these guys, what they'll do is they'll launch a demonstration attack against a target of their choosing. The LBA uh, campaign started against like commercial banks and financial sector and then moved kind of logically from there. The Fancy Lazarus guys have been primarily focused against internet service providers and specifically against their authoritative DNS servers. And so they'll launch a demonstration attack. They'll follow that up with an extortion demand that says, hey, unless you pay us X number of Bitcoin, we're going to continue to do this. In fact, we're going to escalate this attack to some two terabit per second attack. Now, none of these have actually reached that level. In fact, I think the, the largest attack we saw was somewhere around like the 700, 750 gigabit per second. So they're, they're nowhere near the two terabit that they claim. And so they're trying to extort folks. Now, the cool thing is, is so far, none of the customers that we've dealt with have actually given into the extortion demands for these guys. So why they keep doing this, I don't know, because they're not really getting a payday, but they just, they keep doing it. And then some other kind of groups or campaigns or uh, motivations behind DDoS would be just people that want to see the world burn. So they'll launch DDoS attacks because they can, because it's easy. Um, maybe you have adversaries out there that will launch them and then brag about it so they can get more business or so they can look at their competitors and say, hey, look what I did. Then you also have kind of nation state stuff where sometimes they'll use it as a smokescreen, a combination of other attacks. 
And then you have the geopolitical factor. Sometimes you'll have political rivals in different countries where they'll go after and take down their opponent's website or a polling site or whatever it might be. You say who specifically is doing this. It's more like who's not doing this today. Well, I noticed actually that you spent a lot of your time there talking about individuals. And this is something much though I regret saying this, the individual can attempt to do as opposed to having to be an organized gang or a nation state actor. Yeah, and with the advent of Buddhist dressers and over the past five, six years, they've become more and more popular. Anybody that has some knowledge of the underground marketplace, they can spin up a VPN or a proxy or a tour or whatever it might be. They can get a crypto wallet and spend $10 and be able to launch an attack against the target of their choosing. In fact, some of these services, we actually have a segment in the threat report under the, the gaming spotlight where we talk about the era of individualistic targeting. Because what we're seeing is actual semi, like quasi-legal organizations where they will basically collect gamers' usernames, so their gamer tag, and they'll pair that to the IP address that they were last known to use. And they will actually offer this list to sale. And people can take that and say, hey, I'm facing this gamer. What's their gamer tag and the IP address that they're associated with? And you can actually purchase that list and then use that list to target the individual. And then the same organization that's offering this will turn around and say, hey, if you want to be delisted from our service, you can pay us money. Or oh, well, guess what? We're also offering a VPN to prevent this from happening. And so they're, they're kind of playing both sides of the fence here, but very much in the individualistic targeting era. You've talked a lot about gaming there, but obviously this is something which affects corporates across industry sectors. Is it the case that the financial services sector is specifically targeted as well, or is that old hat now? No, in fact, actually, one of the phenomena we saw over the first half of 2021 was kind of a changing in tactics by adversaries. And so uh, we have a, a spotlight in the threat report on payment card processors and commercial banking. And what we saw in the first half of 2021 is the number one DDoS attack vector used by adversaries changed. And so it used to be DNS reflection amplification for almost two years was like the preferred method by adversaries. Well, TCP act floods took over that number one spot. And so it got us looking into, well, why is that the case? And it turns out that some of that case is because of targeting against financial industries, specifically payment card processors and commercial banks. So what adversaries figured out is that, you know what, TCP act floods are a little bit harder to mitigate than the typical volumetric stuff, the reflection amplification we see day in, day out. And so they figured out, if I can do this TCP act flood, overwhelm certain layers of defense mitigation, and then maybe that gets me through to my target and takes them down. In two individual cases that we had a hand in helping, we had adversaries that would go after the first layer, they would use a TCP act flood, they took down the first layer, then they would use volumetric and they took down the second layer. Now, in both of these cases, um, it wasn't our products necessarily mitigating these attacks, but we had a hand in helping recover uh, services for these organizations. In another incident, we had the exact reverse. We had volumetric that took, took down the first layer, and then TCP act floods took down the second layer. And what that resulted in is a several minutes of downtime for a couple of really prominent payment card processors. And if you look at the number of transactions per second, it's like 5,000 per second. So three minutes of downtime for one of these organizations is a huge revenue loss. Um, and so adversaries are actually flipping 
kind of the script a little bit and changing the methodologies. It, it speaks to this innovation phase that we believe adversaries have been in for the past couple of years, where they're just constantly finding ways to get around security measures. They're monitoring their attacks in real time. If it doesn't succeed, they, they try something different. Um, and they have that flexibility because there's so much at the disposal for adversaries to launch these attacks. Okay, let's try and be a little bit more cheerful at this point. How can organizations move to protect themselves against the situation you're painting? So one of the things we try to say, and you know, I'm going to bring this in. We didn't talk about it yet, but ransomware is another big thing on everybody's mind right now. And ransomware and DDoS have a lot in common. They're both denial of service events. And what is also in common is that the defensive measures or the protection you would use for one can actually go a long way to preventing the other one as well. And so we believe that about 80% of your defensive posture, if you focus on that 80%, you will have an 80% success rate at defending both DDoS and ransomware. And that includes doing things like patching your systems, making sure you don't have default usernames and passwords. If you have uh, accounts that are no longer being used, make sure that those are uh, unprovisioned or removed or deleted from your systems, making sure that you have proper network uh, isolation and segmentation. You have adversaries that, you know, they get access to one box and all of a sudden they have access to your entire portfolio. So making sure things are isolated properly and then doing best current practices, just following the industry standards for things. It's going to go a long way to preventing a lot of these attacks from coming in. Like the ransomware stuff is it's, they're using the tried and true methods of intrusion for the past six, seven years, brute forcing exploits that are 2014, 2015, or even older than that. Largely, the DDoS attacks we're seeing today, they're common attacks that we've been seeing for many, many years. And yeah, adversaries are adding new attack factors, but those are slower in gaining traction. A lot of these different uh, vectors that we're seeing, we've seen them for a long time. We've been basically seeing the DNS amplification, the DNS query flooding, which is also known as DNS water torture. I mean, these go all the way back to Mirai in 2016. And so none of these things are necessarily new, like these predominant attacks of the prominent ones of the popular ones, we've been seeing these for many, many, many years. And so there is tried and true defensive measures. There's tried and true protection mitigation out there. It's a matter of people being aware that it's not if they're going to get attacked anymore, it's when, and then doing due diligence to make sure that they're prepared to handle those attacks. And that preparation is going to be the most important aspect of defending against DDoS and ransomware. Richard Hummel, ACERT Threat Intelligence Lead for Netscout, thank you very much.